This is The Big Question, where we do our best to answer questions from young disciples at Grace Presbyterian Church and to be at peace with the mysteries that we can't explain. I'm Pastor Mark, your host, and in this episode we have questions from Benton, Micah, Joanna, Susanna, and Noah. First, we'll tackle a few serious questions. Then we'll look at this episode's big question. And as always, we'll wrap things up at the end with a few fun questions. We'll start with our serious questions. This week, we have questions from Benton and from Micah. First, Benton asks, Why do people say church plant or planted a church? Why can't they say it was built there? Well, Benton, this is a great question. When it comes to terminology, sometimes we use words that sound funny if you're not accustomed to them. And this is a great example. I'll be honest with you. When I was growing up, I remember hearing that somebody started a church or maybe even built a church, but I never heard people talking about planting churches because planting was what you did with plants, right? Uh, Not churches. Well, it turns out that this way of talking about churches has a particular significance to it, and it is connected to that idea of uh, organic planting, uh, the way that we plant plants in the ground. The church is not an organization, it's an organism. It's a living body. When you think about what's involved in planting a plant, there are some specific responsibilities that a gardener undertakes. You don't just throw the seed in the ground and then neglect it. You put the seed there, you nurture it, you water it, you come back over time, you tend it, you pull weeds out, you do everything that you can to promote its flourishing. And that's the reason why we think about starting a church as church planting, because what you do when you plant a church is something very similar. You put the seed there, you water it, you nurture it occasionally, you even have to pull some weeds out in order to allow it to grow. Your goal is to see the church flourish and to see the church grow into the the shape that God is giving it. And so I think it's a strange way of speaking if you're not accustomed to it, but once you understand that the church is an organic organism in the same way that a tree is, it starts to make sense. Our next question comes from Micah, and he asks, how did God make space? Well, this is a fascinating question because when we try to imagine the the size of everything that God made, oftentimes our imagination stops at the limits of the earth. So we imagine the earth floating up in the sky and heaven above it, but of course there's much more to the universe than just the earth, and all of that distance, that that emptiness, that fullness as well, space is created by God. And it is vast. It is, at least from our point of view, seemingly endless and infinite. So the question is, how did God make all of that? Well, Micah, here's the interesting thing. When the Bible talks about God's work of creation, In Genesis chapter 1, the way that he makes things is by speaking them into existence. 
So God says, let there be, and whatever he wants there to be comes into existence. We don't know what exactly that would have looked like. If you had been standing there as God spoke things into existence, would they have suddenly appeared, fully formed? Would they have kind of burst into existence? Uh, hard to say because the Bible doesn't get into it. But the, the way that God created the means was simply speech. Like he spoke things into existence out of nothing. That's true for the earth. That is true for creation in general. It's true for space as well. So everything that exists, whatever it is, exists because God spoke it into existence. And now it's time for the big question. This week's big question comes from Joanna, and it's a question about Bible interpretation. Joanna asks, what does Ecclesiastes 7.16 mean? To answer this question, obviously, we need to open our Bibles and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you're listening, why don't you do that now? Turn to Ecclesiastes 7, and we'll look at verse 16. And you'll notice as you look at verse 16 that it is not a standalone passage. It's actually part of a paragraph. So let's read the whole paragraph together. This starts in verse 15 and goes through verse 18. Here it is. In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his wickedness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. So that's the whole paragraph. And verse 16, the verse that Joanna asks about, says this, Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? And I can understand why reading a verse like that would be a little bit confusing, because it says, don't be overly righteous, but doesn't God want us to be righteous? It says, don't make yourself too wise, but doesn't God want us to be wise? How can you be too wise? How can you be too righteous? It, it seems like it doesn't even make sense. But it does make sense if you understand the context of the book of Ecclesiastes. So in the book of Ecclesiastes, the author, the preacher, Solomon, is writing about what he calls life under the sun, which is a, another way of describing life in the fallen world. So life in the world that we live in, which is broken by sin. And in this world, things don't work the way that they should. And one of the points he's making in Ecclesiastes 7 is that Life, because of sin, is not as simple as you may think. It's not that whoever is righteous and whoever is wise has good things happen to them, and that only the unrighteous and only fools ever have bad things happen to them. That's not the way it works at all. In fact, he's seen, he says, righteous people who perish in their righteousness, while wicked people, unrighteous people, actually continue to live on and to prolong their lives, he says, in evil doing. 
So you might think that people who do bad things will have bad consequences. People who do good things will automatically get good consequences. And maybe it would be that way in a perfect world. But in an imperfect world, broken by sin, that's not the way things work. And it's important to understand this. Why make this point, though? What is the the point here that Solomon is making? I think underneath it all, the point is that we shouldn't trust too much in our own righteousness and in our own wisdom. That no matter how righteous you are, no matter how wise you are, you cannot be righteous enough and wise enough to overcome the effects of sin in the world or in your life. As a result of that, you can't like earn your salvation through righteousness, and you can't even earn a happy life through righteousness and wisdom either. That it's possible for you to do all the right things, to be perfectly obedient, and still to suffer. It's possible for you to be as righteous as you can possibly be. You could be the most righteous human being in the world, but that won't save you. Because the only way to be saved is through the righteousness of Christ. The Apostle Paul refers to Jesus as the wisdom of God. Then it is the wisdom of God and not our own wisdom that we need to rely on. So when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it is a difficult book. It raises some tough questions. But always keep in mind that the observations you find there are observations about what it means to live in a sinful and fallen world. And so when it seems a little uh, dark or negative or pessimistic, just remember that, that we should be a little pessimistic. We should be a little frustrated with life in a fallen world. Our hope shouldn't be in this world and in personal righteousness and goodness, our hope must be in Christ alone. And if it is, we have to realize that doesn't mean that we're going to live happy and suffering-free lives, that even those whose faith is in Christ alone will experience setbacks, will have discouragement, will have suffering in their lives. There is no guarantee in this life that you will be preserved from those things. So don't judge whether or not you are doing the right thing and following the right Savior based on these circumstances. Instead, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Don't trust in your own righteousness and your own wisdom. Trust in his and his alone. And if you do that, then you will be living in a fallen world but you will be living in hope of the world to come, perfected by our Lord Jesus Christ. And now before we wrap things up, we have a couple of fun questions. This time we have questions from Susanna and Noah. Susanna has some birthday wishes requests to make. She says, well, you wish my mom a happy birthday. Her birthday is on July 10th and me a happy birthday. My birthday is on July 19th. Well, the problem is I'm recording this episode on July the 22nd. And so 
Both of these birthdays have already passed, so I'm sorry, Susanna, I missed the window. But even though it's coming a little bit late, I am going to do exactly what you've asked me to do. So to your mom, I wish her a happy birthday. And to you, I wish you a happy birthday. This birthday, especially your ninth birthday, I hope will be especially good. And hopefully next year, I'll be able to wish you these before they actually happen. Our last question comes from Noah, who wants to know, what is the Big Question song called and who is it by? I know many of you enjoy the music of the Big Question and even sing along when you hear it. So I'm happy to share with you the title and artist who recorded it. So the title of the track, this is very appropriate, it's called Skeptical, and the artist is Lincoln Davis. I listened to a lot of music trying to find something that seemed perfect for the big question, and when I heard this, I thought, yes, this is the one. So I hope you enjoy Skeptical by Lincoln Davis as a treat. I'll play a little bit more of it on the end of this episode. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for listening to The Big Question. Until next time, remember, if we're going to find the answers, then we have to ask the questions. So never be afraid to ask and never be satisfied with easy answers. The truth will always stand up to scrutiny. So until next time, keep asking the big questions.